Actual Fluency Podcast, episode 34, with Connor Klein. Welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast, the podcast that gives you the tools and inspiration to learn languages faster and more efficiently. And now your host, Chris Broholm. Hello guys and welcome to the Actual Fluency Podcast. I'm bringing you another episode. This is episode 34 and I'm happy once again to be here with you on this very fine day. Today we're talking to the language star, Connor Klein, who like another Irish polyglot or perhaps the Irish polyglot, Benny Lewis, left high school with speaking no languages, well, English, of course. And then now, you know, some years later, he speaks over 10 languages and moving on to rapidly approaching 12 and 13. And Connor and I talk a lot about traveling, learning languages, what's his favorite methods and kind of techniques to learn languages have been and the experiences he's acquired learning all these languages over the years. So that's super exciting. But before we get into today's show, I just want to say say thank you guys for, you know, listening to the show, but also for those people to those people who sent me messages and emails thanking me for the show. It really means a, a lot to me. Some people actually took the time to write reviews on iTunes. And, you know, I'm so kind of grateful for that, that I'm actually going to read them here. And, you know, I just want to say thank you. And if you want to leave a review on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. It's actualfluency.com forward slash iTunes will direct you to the iTunes page. And you do need to have a, a kind of an iTunes user to do it. So that's why I'm extra thankful for these people taking extra time out of their day to, to leave a review. But Will of the North says the podcast is amazing. Overall, Chris, the host, brings tons of great guests. He has interesting leading questions and brings tons of great language learning tips too. Highly recommended to all language learners and be sure to look through the episode list for a nice tour of famous polyglots because Chris has interviewed almost all of them. Uh, thank you so much, Will of the North. And you're totally right about the list, you know, uh, this 34th episode. So if you're kind of new to the podcast, you can go back through the list and you'll probably find some familiar names. And if you didn't, I still recommend you to go back and listen to them because, you know, they have a lot of great stuff to bring. You know, I mean, you don't need to be Betty Lewis to have uh, great wisdom about language learning. So Definitely go back and listen to that. And Dato Green says, Actual Fluency is a great podcast for language learners from any background. Chris Brohom loves language learning and dedicates himself to hearing the stories of learners from all kinds of backgrounds. There's always something interesting and I love his enthusiasm as a host. You know, Dato, I'm so, so happy about that. You, you definitely made my day. And uh, those two reviews were two five-star reviews uh, from iTunes. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so happy about these reviews that I'm actually going to give uh, two uh, italki vouchers to these people. So Will of the North and Data Green, if you send me your email address via the contact page on Actual Fluency, I'll send you a free voucher for a free language learning lesson on italki. And of course, that's provided by italki. So if you are looking for a place to find a tutor, professional or just an informal tutor, I recommend that you go to italki.com. That's I-T-A-L-K-I.com. 
Thank you so much. And me and Connor had so much fun and so much to talk about that I had to split this episode into two parts. So this week you're going to hear part one, episode 34. And then next Friday you're going to hear the next part, which is part 35. So I hope you enjoy this interview with the language star. Today's guest, Connor Klein, is the founder of the popular language learning blog LanguageSAR.com and since he's left school, has learned over 10 languages independently. Connor, thank you so much for coming on to the show and how are things today? Great, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I'm in good form. How are things? Really good. It couldn't be better, in fact. And uh, I briefly introduced you, uh, but I was wondering if you'd take a few minutes to just give the like extended version, what happened after you left uh, high school in terms of, of language learning? Great. So uh, I have a pretty similar story to a fellow countryman who's also uh, involved in in the language learning uh, YouTube community, and that's Benny Lewis. Uh, Benny and I were born in the same country, and neither of us were, were successful at all in learning languages at school. Uh, neither of us spoke anything other than English uh, by the time we left. And later on, I... I moved, uh, I took the opportunity to go on Erasmus when I was uh, at university. I was studying law and then I had the the chance to go to France. Um, And I couldn't even say anything. Basically, when I arrived the first day, I had to like point uh, and grunt when I wanted a sandwich. I was that desperate. (laughs) And uh, so I had a very difficult um, experience in the beginning, of course, when I arrived, I couldn't communicate with anybody for several months, basically. But eventually I started to overcome these uh, initial difficulties. And uh, having gotten my French to a reasonably good level, I started, I discovered actually Michel Thomas when I got back um, to do my final year. And in between um, preparing for my exams, I started to learn a little bit of Italian and Spanish. I was quite um, inspired and, and very motivated by the simple course and the, the initial progress I was able to make after after um, listening to his recordings, which uh, well, the reason I was actually attracted to them in the beginning was because the back of the box said no drills, no homework and no memorization. Mm-hmm. So for me, that sounded perfect because <laughs> throughout my entire uh, school uh, school days, the, I, I've been forced to try and memorize things and wrote, you know, learning, re- reciting things wrote and uh, doing lots of homework. And, and none of it seemed to be particularly uh, effective for me. Uh, later on, I got the opportunity to study in a few different countries uh, as part of my extended university studies. So I, I also started learning languages like Dutch because I lived in the Netherlands and Italian. I got a good opportunity to uh, improve that to fluency uh, because I also lived in Italy for a year. I got to study there. And then later on, I moved to the U.S. and I had the good fortune to to live actually right beside a, a Latin American um, neighborhood in Washington, D.C. So there I got the opportunity to, to speak in uh, Spanish every day and uh, also to travel a little bit around Latin America. So I went to Brazil. So I was exposed to Portuguese for the first time and everything kind of uh, snowballed um, from that, from initially not having any uh, success at all learning languages and being quite turned off by the, um, by the whole experience at school. Um, then later on, I came back after my university, I, I came returned to Europe and I started, um, working in, in Brussels, which, uh, because the European union's institutions are based there, 
there were people from all over Europe and, and of course around the world, but in particular from the different member states. And uh, I got the opportunity and uh, to practice all the languages I had been learning quite regularly amongst the friends I made. And also I was exposed to new ones. Um, and uh, that also inspired me to travel an awful lot within Europe. I really wanted to, go, in the beginning, I just wanted to go to every single member state uh, because I had friends and colleagues from each of them or most of them. And I thought it'd be great to at least come once uh, to each of their, their countries. And once I guess I had uh, gone to all the member states, which are 28 today, I decided, well, why not finish off and kind of see <laughs> every country uh, that I can within, within Europe, at least if, and then we'll see afterwards. Um, but not in a way that I thought I wanted to tick off a list. I don't say, okay, I got to go and see them all just once. And I'm very, um, superficially just visit for, you know, a day or something. I, I, whenever I have the opportunity, I try to see something new that could be also a new region, uh, within, within Europe primarily or somewhere else in the world. And, uh, to try and eventually I will get through all of them, I guess, if I live long enough. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my, my background. And then, uh, with, with respect to the, the blog, I think I have, a and the, and, and the YouTube channel, I have a similar, um, motivation as, as I believe you do, which is that I also was um, very impressed by the videos that I saw from other um, polyglots and language enthusiasts on YouTube uh, in the last four or five years. People like Richard Simcott and Luca Lampariello and, and, and Benny Lewis and um, uh, there are so many out there, yeah. Steve Kaufman. And um, I wanted to do something uh, to contribute to this community because I gotten so much out of, uh, their videos and their blogs and, um, you know, the information that they were providing free, uh, for people who are interested in learning languages. And the Genesis, uh, began, uh, when I went to the first polyglot conference in Budapest in 2013. And there I actually got to meet so many of these great, um, uh, polyglots in person at the conference. And then, after the conference, I decided, well, I will start um, doing my own uh, website and YouTube channel. So that's kind of, yeah, where it gets us to today yeah, in terms that's of language learning. <laughs> that's a very good uh, overview. Um, and I, I just want to say a really good job on the YouTube videos. You know, often in, in this community, there's a bit of a problem with the, you know, it's often just talking heads videos. But I like that you put in a lot of, you know, production value into the having lots of languages and, you know, the nice little graphics and stuff. So I just wanted to say a good job on that. Thanks. I'm glad that you find that find that element interesting. Um, so yeah, that's actually uh, one of the, the things I want to do. The channel is is to have as many languages in the videos and on the website as possible, and to um, provide valuable and interesting, entertaining content for people who are interested in learning languages or just interested in languages in general, um, in the, in the various languages, not just to have everything say in a lingua franca, like English, uh, people can read the subtitles. Um, so sure. I try to make it as, as, uh, yeah, to keep it as multilingual as possible. Yeah. And, uh, that's the interesting thing. If you look at someone like Moses McCormick, for instance, I mean, I can't understand probably 99% of the languages that he does in his videos, but with the subtitles, I'm actually able to watch and enjoy them. So, you know, that's exactly. all it takes really. But I want to go back to um, the kind of, I guess, the turning point. You know, you, you said you moved to France, you couldn't speak a word French, and then you found uh, Michel Thomas. And it sounded as though this kind of opened your world, to, so to say. Is, is, that, is that correct? 
Yeah, I had gotten my French to a reasonably good level after spending one year in, in France. I also worked for the summer there. In, uh, I worked in Nice uh, in the south of France, and I have been exposed quite a lot to Italian. I've gone traveling around Italy for a couple of weeks. I'm really uh, in love with Italy after my, my trip there, and I had... Um, I remember sitting on the plane just before I, I flew back to, to Ireland where I had to finish my final year of uh, undergraduate studies that I, I promised myself that I would come and I would live for one year in Italy um, soon, sometime. <laughs> uh, so then when I got back, I thought, well, the first thing I'm going to have to do now that I speak okay French is that I've got to start learning Italian if I really want to go there at some stage and live. And uh, that's when I went to my local bookstore and I found... Michelle Thomas. And, uh, yeah, really it changed the way that I approached languages. It was something I guess I've been looking for because I had such an unsuccessful experience with learning languages in school and this kind of traditional learn grammar rules, uh, learn, you know, learn right. vocabulary, wrote, and then regurgitated. And, uh, this had been of course, complete failure for me as a method. So the fact that this was proposed an alternative, um, really, uh, got me super interested in it. And then after I did the Italian, I, I also started, I mean, he didn't have so many languages available. I think Spanish was the, the next one I looked at. And then I also took his German, uh, basically I consumed as many of them as I could at the time. And it's only later that I was able to uh, make use of them a couple of years later when I learned um, Spanish and German. Um, so definitely it was a turning point. Uh, I also then went uh, and I lived in the Netherlands and, and Italy for, I actually got to live in Italy just two years later. So wow. right, that, that, that goal <laughs> had been achieved. So you've got to change uh, and have new ambitions for yourself after. But that one I actually got to, of got to do very quickly. And it was definitely, I think, for me, it was the best year I'd had up to that point, really my one year in Italy. So it was definitely worth um, investing the time and having started learning Italian. And it was definitely a realization of a, of a personal goal for me, a dream, really. Um, so that didn't disappoint at all. Awesome. And then, then that was just, I guess, as you say, a turning point. And then things continued. And um, yeah, afterwards, uh, I, I had the... A great exposure to Spanish in in Washington D.C. when I lived there, and also I started learning some Russian. I had a semester university. Uh, my the reason I chose Russian is that I was interested in the former Soviet Union as uh, I was studying international relations in, in Washington, D.C. And uh, that was a, a region of the world that particularly interested me. So I wanted to at least start learning the language with no pressure to reach a certain level. Right. Uh, it was only later that I, I, I've now started to focus on it seriously and trying to get it as fluent as possible. Did, um, yeah. Did you, um, did you learn the language? Did you decide to learn the languages before you decided to go to the place or was learning the language as a consequence of you wanting to go to a place? It's been both. I had been to Italy, which, yeah, which inspired me to learn Italian. I lived, as I said, in Washington, D.C., beside a, a Spanish-speaking um, district. So there I was exposed to the language and then wanted to go and learn it because I had you know, had an experience, had, you know, a personal experience with the language. Uh, other languages like Russian, I'd never visited a Russian speaking country when I took the semester uh, and I studied it, the region. Uh, it was only quite a, few, a couple of years later that I, that I traveled to Russia for the first time. Uh, so there was the other way around. And then uh, I had a Brazilian friend, for example, at uh, when I was in university in, in Italy and, right. and in America and 
invited me to spend New Year's Eve in uh, Rio de Janeiro. And so I went there. And of course, if you go, especially for New Year's Eve to, to, to Rio then, and yeah, I was completely enamored of the country. So I really wanted to try and learn Portuguese afterwards. Uh, it really, yeah, right. it, it's really cool. So um, those kind of personal, I guess, um, intimate experiences you have with relationships with people traveling to the country, um, really inspired me to want to learn the languages because they're also an element of the culture of the place of the people. Right. Um, and not just for communication, but also just to understand, also to understand the culture more and to be more involved in it, to be more in integrated when I travel or live in a, in a different country. Right. So, so, I mean, today, when you look at the polyglot community and obviously this is kind of a new movement in the last few years, but there are a lot of aspiring polyglots such as myself. And we have this ambition of, Oh, I want to speak 12 languages or something, or whatever the number might be. But in your situation, you know, it's, it's a while ago. So you, what you did was you, you sort of went, learning this language and then you sort of ran into another inspiration or a friend or a culture or something and then you decide to learn another one that's correct that's exactly the way it is and when i moved back to europe i had a lot of colleagues who spoke um spoke german for example and because i was socializing with them i wanted to really speak German, right? Because they, of course we could communicate in other languages, but when you have friends that are using it, especially if you're in your group and they all speak that as their first language, uh, you know, it's better if I can also converse in, in the same languages with, with them. Um, so it was never a, a, an ambition to be a polyglot uh, per se. I wasn't, you know, when I was a um, uh, monolingual, I wasn't sitting there thinking, I really want to speak you know, 10, no. 20, 30, 40, 50 languages. This wasn't the, 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 the mindset I had. I, I, I really got a lot out of having learned French and Italian and then Spanish in the beginning. And I remember when I was on my master program, we used to have to um, pass a proficiency test in one, a minimum of one language. And I had taken French and passed that test. And then I took Italian and even though it wasn't obligatory and mm -hmm. taken it. And then I was like, well, I can also try Spanish. Uh, actually, I didn't, I didn't get through the Spanish, but uh, they, they, uh, there was one other guy who was also had lived in different parts of Africa, was on the course, and he also did the same thing. And there was just the fact that we spoke three or four different languages uh, at that point. Um, but things kind of um, morphed from that when I came back to Europe and I, I was exposed to more and more languages. And it's because it becomes so integrated into my daily life uh, through the relationships I have with friends, with colleagues. And right. where I travel to, especially in Europe, because it's so linguistically diverse in a very small geographical area um, that you end up um, learning more and more as, as you get as you, as you get older and uh, you get inspired by, you know, new 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 experiences to want to learn different right. different languages. So at this stage, I've um, I guess at some stage I've started learning maybe 12 or 13 languages. And um, yeah, so we'll see how many. I end up uh, learning overall in the future. It's not, I've also let languages go or put them on hold um, because I had an original motivation to learn it. And then that motivation just uh, disappeared. It, it, it wasn't there anymore. And I was more interested in a different language that so happened uh, with Chinese and with, uh, with Arabic. So for the moment I haven't uh, tried to 
yeah, to learn those languages for the last five years. But there was a time where I spent, a, you know, a couple of months in both of them and I, I traveled to parts of the Middle East oh, and really? used them. And, and I also had a Chinese um, trainee at my law firm when I was working in, in Brussels. And um, so we used to chat every, every, every morning a little bit and I would write messages in, in Mandarin. Um, but, uh, the, the traineeship was only three months. So okay. after that, I didn't have the same motivation to keep going. Um, so that was that I haven't, I haven't tried to learn any since. All right. Um, one thing I was thinking about is that, you know, obviously during your language learning here, you've had times where you were kind of in the same place for, let's say a year. Uh, but also what I've noticed is that you, you seem to travel a lot and learn at the same time. And I think that would be interested to maybe talk a little bit about because how how do you actually maintain a language learning routine whilst on the on the road, so to speak? Because a routine is important, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I would say so anyway. Well, you just got to adapt your routine. Uh, for me, I've always taken the opportunity, especially in the last, we'll say seven, eight years to travel at every opportunity. I, I lived in Brussels for quite a number of years and most weekends I, I, I traveled somewhere else simply because it, it was very easy and relatively cheap place to, to travel from. There are a huge number of flights to big airports and the trains are pretty good. So you can travel every weekend if you want to oh, afford yeah. it. It's not such a big, big problem. So uh, I've always had that uh, kind of lifestyle in the last seven or eight years that I am traveling at least three or four times a month. And when you're traveling, okay, you might be in the country and you might be, you know, you might speak the language. Uh, so there you're going to practice it anyways, because you're going to be walking around, talking to people, reading stuff in, in the, in the, in the language. Uh, and I find that if you take, for example, you're always on a, you're on a plane or on a train, you always have time to read something. I mean, you don't need to spend, you know, five hours a day learning languages. That would never be my, <laughs> my style. I think if you spend half an hour, that's, that's more than enough to make, to make a progress if it's consistent. So everybody can find half an hour when they're, when they're traveling, um, because there's a lot of downtime. You might be sitting around waiting for, you know, check-in or whatever, or to board a plane. And then you just have something handy. I think that's just, it's just about making it convenient. I mean, I always, uh, I wake up in the morning and I have a, usually watch the news headlines in my, um, on my iPad. And I, you know, you can just choose the country and the language. It's just about being prepared and having that. Uh, I don't think necessarily moving makes it that much more difficult. I mean, it, it, the only problem is internet connection. If you need to speak to someone like have a class that can be a little bit stressful if you don't have, um, you know, you know, don't have good Wi-Fi connection and unfortunately technology is not going to that far where with your, uh, with a smartphone that if you're roaming, then it's that practical to set up a class. Cause it, you know, right. uh, the connections and the connectivity isn't super in most countries still, but I think within, a few years that will even be possible. And then, of course. yeah, it won't be, it won't be, a, it won't be a big deal, big deal at all. Um, if you're, if you're traveling to, to maintain all these, this different, um, language routine, maybe it's a bit of a mindset too. Like, uh, I'm traveling, you know, I'm, you know, in a foreign country, I want to be out and see the world. Then maybe the thought of opening your teach yourself or whatever you have lying or you brought with you, maybe that's a mindset thing. We just need to jump quickly past that and go, you know what, I'll spend my half hour or 45 minutes, whatever it takes every day to, to progress just a little bit. Exactly. I think it's just, uh, approaching it with them, with them. Yeah. With the mindset that you're going to also 
spend a little bit of time uh, making sure that you keep up on whatever language you're, you're learning, especially if you go to a country and it's not the spoken language. For example, you go to Germany and I don't know, you're learning French, um, then yeah, I mean, maybe if you just watch the news in the morning for 15 minutes uh, and then read a little bit like the head news headlines. Right. You read one or two, one or two articles. I mean, it's only 15 minutes when yeah, everybody has that time. I'm a great believer that everybody has the time to learn language. Just they have to know how to use the time and have the right uh, mentality, right? Proper mindset. Uh, uh, there's always downtime in every day. I mean, people say, oh, I need to go to the gym. It's a common thing I hear. And yeah, I mean, you can easily work out and listen to a podcast, watch even some TV in the language if it's if it's going to be on the, the, the machine or you can even probably stream it on on some sort of portable device these days. So I don't think there's really any um, no excuse. real excuse for helping. No excuse. Well, that's I guess if you go with that mindset, then you'll always <laughs> find time, right? <laughs> if you say there's no excuse, right? You're gonna I'm gonna do it. So yeah, yeah. it's not, it's not that hard in reality. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that if there is a limitation, it's it's in our mind for sure. Uh, but it, I guess it's just easy Agreed. to be caught up with this uh, um, change of mentality. Once you board the plane, it's like you leave a part of your brain behind, and you're like, "Oh, I'm traveling now. I'm not." You know, I don't. I can't explain it, but it just it seems that way sometimes. I think a lot of people suffer that approach where they see traveling as purely a recreational exercise that they do a few times a year. Mm -hmm. And I think if you approach it like that, I want to switch off and change my routine from what I've been doing before. Then of course you're going to think now I don't also do the, the half an hour of whatever language like uh, German because I'm on holidays in Thailand. So I'm not going to do any of that. Um, but if you're, you have languages and travel more integrated into your lifestyle, then it becomes second nature that you don't see such a, uh, clear defining line between the two. Right. So, um, when you go on, on holidays, a lot of time, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm going to be somewhere where I'm going to speak one of the languages. I'm probably going to meet people. I may go with a friend who speaks another language. I may meet people there who are also traveling who speak a third or fourth language that, I, that I'm learning. So it's not so hard. And I always receive messages on my, you know, Facebook or uh, primarily or emails in the different languages every day in any case. So no matter where I'm traveling, I probably have to reply to things in three, four, five, six different languages as a matter of course. Um, so for me, it's not so daunting to, to maintain them for that reason. And, and that's the, do you do anything else? Uh, I mean, when you reach, let's say 10 languages, obviously there's going to be some forgetting happening at, at some point, but what, do you do anything actively to kind of say, okay, I haven't spoken Catalan in a while. Let me go on. Let me talk to my Catalan friend or go to see the news or read a newspaper or something. Or do you have exactly, exactly. I mean, the, I find it hard to maintain one or two of the languages just because I'm not in regular contact uh, with so many friends or colleagues or for work reasons with the, with the language or traveling there so often. So for me, Spanish and Dutch are actually not so as easy as the other languages to maintain. Um, so every once in a while I will open up the newspapers from the Netherlands or from yeah somewhere like Spain, maybe for Spanish or Argentina and just take a read through it. Maybe watch something online, watch a, a few YouTube videos. Maybe, uh, there's a Spanish, um, uh, pod, uh YouTube, uh, channel that, uh, I, I watch sometimes for a little bit of humor. The videos about four minutes long every week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hola soy Herman is the name of it. So for that, I can watch 
maybe once a month I'm going to look to three or four of his videos, right? So I'm going to, you know, catch up a little bit more in, in having the language back in my head. Right. Um, so that's basically what I would do. I mean, uh, you could go a little bit further and say, okay, I'm going to organize one hour tuition per week in this language just to maintain it because I don't have the exposure. So I'm actually considering I will do that maybe in, in Spanish and Dutch in the next the next month or two because I don't have so much exposure to those two languages at the moment. But that would be another way of approaching it. Uh, online tuition is relatively inexpensive. Right. If you go to, um, there are several different websites like uh, italki is a quite a popular one. And there you can find tutors and you can schedule classes whenever suits you. So it's quite convenient. Even if you're traveling, you can sit down in a cafe with Wi-Fi and have your class one hour. Exactly. Uh, even if you're in Warsaw for the weekend or Bangkok or whatever, you can do your Swahili class with a teacher from East Africa. Everything is possible with the internet, right? So um, these geographical boundaries, uh, borders don't really exist like they used to say 10 years ago. And, and do you use uh, a lot of uh, tutors in the kind of, let's say the baby steps or the early stages of learning a language or, or do you use it more for the maintenance side of it? No, definitely for when I'm learning the language, I try to have a tutor and to at least have one hour a week mm -hmm. as long as possible, but, uh, of tuition and that will keep me, you know, consistently making some progress. I'll definitely, uh, make some changes to my daily routine and, um, also include maybe reading something, the language just for a few minutes every day, or if there's some sort of, uh, program or, you know, language learning app or something I'm using to help me with it. I will do a few minutes of that. Hopefully just, just every day, just to do a few minutes. Right. And then these things together over combined every day, don't have to be more than half an hour, 45 minutes, but over a year, if you just have uh, consistency, then that builds up to a reasonable amount of time. And it's always good to have a, a tutor that suits you, one that you can relate to well. It's, um, that you discuss interesting topics, not just that you're learning the nuts and bolts of the language. I think that's also uh, an important element uh, for learning uh, because it will help, help maintain your motivation. Mm -hmm. If you have someone interesting uh, to discuss um, uh, different topics in the language uh, as you go along as you're learning it. Yeah, and that uh, also makes sense, right? Because if if you are really crazy about Pokemon cards, I don't know why I picked that, but I used to collect that when I was a child. Uh, if you're really uh, into that, then obviously you're going to want to talk about that at some point in the real life, right? So if you can exactly. talk to your tutor about that and learn the kind of the terminology or you know the vocabulary for that kind of specialist subject, then I mean that's going to be infinitely more helpful than than learning how to. I don't know, uh, buy stocks or something, you know, it, it's something routinely from a Facebook or something. I mean, most of the phrases you see in the Facebook, uh, how often do you use some of those? Precisely. I'm always amazed by a lot of different Facebooks, as you say, or even uh, different online uh, courses or di different language courses in general. The vocabulary that they expect me to learn is com a lot of times completely irrelevant to anything I want to say or write or even listen to in real life. Yeah. Um, so this is, I mean, it's a very nice word for me to know, but it's, it's in my life relatively obscure. So if you have a tutor and you can discuss topics that you're really interested in that will mimic and prepare you for real life conversations that you want to have with people who speak the, the language you're learning, then that's, that's golden. That's so much better than reading, uh, reading a book, uh, a language learning book or, or some sort of app that's going to exposed to a different type of vocabulary that mightn't be uh, specific to your needs. Right. 
Exactly. And some of the most notorious examples I can think of are when they teach you, you know, five different types of flowers or fish or something, you know, and, and obviously these never, ever translate well for some reason. It's completely different names across the languages. And it's like, why do I need to know that it's called, a, you know, there's the fish and chip fish, you know, the place. It's a, yeah. I mean, UK people would know that because you can order plays and chips, right? But when I first arrived yeah. in London and the girl behind the bar said, uh, would you like place? I was like, what does that sentence even mean? <laughs> and, um, you know, that was because, and, and, and you know, I, I consider my English to be, you know, relatively high level. So for me to be stumped by somebody in a, in a, in a pub was kind of, mm -hmm. kind of not expected, but <laughs> this vocabulary just wasn't relevant. There was never be a time where it was relevant in Denmark for me to know what this specific type of fish was called. And I don't even know the name in Danish. And that just illustrates the example even more, right? <laughs> yeah, precisely. But this is also something that you will um, observe as you, as you travel around, that you need different worlds because words because you might be in a different culture. Your interests might change because of the new uh, countries that you visit you spend time in and then you will learn those and you may actually have difficulty even saying them in your in your native language uh, <laughs> afterwards because you never needed to be able to say that word in when you were living as you said in Denmark and then suddenly you're in a pub in England and you realize place is very very important to know because fish just it's, doesn't do it exactly, yeah <laughs> and and how do you find your your English does it do you use it enough so it never really slips or have you had like times when you've kind of felt a little bit of a decline due to just speaking in other languages all the time I'm often told that I don't don't sound like I'm a complete native speaker, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it's true that I try I tend to be a little bit maybe more precise in the words I use. Maybe not not sound as natural in, in the flow because I'm used to have on one hand uh, speaking in different languages every day, and then on this uh, on this on the other hand I also have to uh, speak a lot in English. Uh, where the person doesn't speak English as their first language. And then I try to be a little, speak slower and to articulate my words more. Of course. Um, so you kind of slow down your pace and change your, uh, your intonation quite a bit to make it more understandable. Uh, I don't necessarily think it declines in the sense of being an English speaker, but if, for example, there's specialized vocabulary that I'm only using in, uh, a foreign language, uh, that's a language other than English, then perhaps that's the case. because you just don't use the words, uh, on a daily basis, like you would, if you were only working in English, for example, and then it becomes a little bit harder to maintain it. because you, your, 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 uh, specialist knowledge has been spread over, you know, uh, five or six different languages. So maybe they don't come out in English as quickly as they might be if you were just monolingual and using that, you know, all day as your profession. That's what I say. That's what I would see the, the main difference. Thank you for listening to the Actual Fluency Podcast. For more information, be sure to check out actualfluency.com. Until next time, enjoy learning and have a great day.